it. <laughs> Alrighty, we're going to get cracking today. So feel free to take notes, okay? So today I am talking on the word is your sword. So what I realized is that there were things I learned many, many years ago about the Bible that I'm recognizing that many people either don't know or have forgotten to do with the word of God. And part of that is, is actually using it as a sword. Hence, I bought my sword today. So we're going to do some um, things that so you remember this, okay? Okay, so I just picked out four. There are many purposes of the Bible, and I'm not saying that this is all of them, but here are four purposes that attribute to the word being a sword in your hand. And so four purposes of it, it reveals God to us. So we can read the word of God and we can see the nature of God. We can read the word of God. We can see what he likes, what he doesn't like. We can get to know our heavenly father when we read the word. Okay. Number two is it also it pierces our heart as it renews our mind. It is a defensive weapon and it is an offensive weapon. Okay. So number one, so it reveals God to us. We can see his nature, his character, and his plans for all of mankind. You can start from Genesis and go all the way to Revelation, and you can see the plan for humanity in there, okay? It has a good ending. It has a very good ending. It started really good. It's going to finish really good. So everything in between must be good. Yes. Because he is good. So when you read the word, you can discover that his nature is good. So then his intent for me is good. That's it. So when we, so I just want to distinguish there is a reading the Bible and then there's a studying the Bible. And they're not the same thing. Okay, reading is as I can sit down and I can read a whole book at a time. And when I get up and walk away, I might remember little snippets of it, but I don't, really, I don't really remember it. When I study the word, I am pulling it apart. I'm getting a portion and I am chewing on it. I'm meditating on it. I am, to meditate means to chew on. It's literally like I am ruminating on it. I am taking, um, just say for example... His goodness leads to repentance. So just that's one little, one little scripture. And I'm like, through my day, I'm like going, his goodness leads me to repentance. His goodness leads me to repentance. So he must be good. Because so, his goodness leads me to repentance. So then his repentance, well, that must be good too. And so as I'm chewing on that, I'm getting revelation on his nature, on who he is, what he says. And so then when he comes, because he, another scripture says, he chastises his children, the ones he loves. When he comes and he does that and he brings conviction in our hearts, then we know it's for our good, even though it can really hurt at the time. And if put your hand up if you've ever had... The, some of that conviction that leads you to repentance and it really hurts. 
Have you ever had that? Yeah? Okay, cool. Because sometimes the journey through the pain, the conviction, to find out what's at the bottom of it is not comfortable and it hurts, but it produces good fruit in us. So just ruminating on that scripture of his goodness leads me to repentance transforms then the way I look at repentance. It transforms the way I look at correction. It takes me from punishment into love, empowering, equipping for my goodness so I will mature and grow up. I'm not standing here under the weight of sin and punishment. And so in that, when we sit there and when we study it, when we grab pieces and we chew on them, he reveals God to us. Holy Spirit reveals God to us, the Godhead being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he reveals their kingdom. Okay? Also in it, we develop intimacy with him. Now, I'm going to do a little word well, word picture here, but I'm going to do it out live. Craig, would you mind standing up? Okay. Someone's going to be cheeky. All right. Stay there. Back there. All right. Can you see, can you see this here? No. No? Okay. Come a little bit closer. Might stop there. Can you see it now? No. Okay. Come a bit closer. Can you see it now? No, still not? Okay. We'll come a bit closer. Okay, can you see it now? No, I'd have to put my glasses on. Okay, put your glasses on. <laughs> you got your glasses? Oh, yeah. Okay, what does that say? Proverbs 22. Proverbs 25, 25 verse 2. Yeah. It's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of a king to search things out. And that's exactly what happens when we pull out the word... And we sit with him repeatedly. See, like he had to come multiple times before he could actually see what the word said. Thank you. Can I go now? You can. Thank you. <laughs> but I just wanted you to know, it's not a one-time hit. For the word to become living and active in you, it takes repeated meditating on, repeatedly grabbing it, taking hold of it. It even takes, when you the studying of the word, stringing different scriptures together. And what it does is it actually builds like a stronghold for you, which we'll talk a little bit about later. And so I just want to reiterate that scripture, Proverbs 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of a king to search it out. That means when you take the time to search it out, you are sharing in his glory. He's revealing his glory to you. You're coming into a, a different anointing as such. You're sitting with the king and he's revealing things to you about it. And they may be for him. It may also be for plans for your life that he wants to reveal to you. Okay? And so number two, like it pierces our heart and renews our mind. And I just want to... Um, Read from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. And the context here is, is talking about um, entering the rest. And just beforehand, it says, strive to enter the rest. Okay? And so this, um, this particular passage says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart. So there's a rest that happens when you allow the word of God to pierce your heart and renew your mind. Because suddenly things you, didn't, you weren't sure about or you had doubt about or you wasn't sure if it was this way or that way, all of a sudden becomes really clear. He's written it in there and it's like suddenly you've got a, a line that says, no, it's this way and walk in it. So you start to become less and less double-minded. Yeah? So there's a rest with comes, that comes with that. Okay. You can also start to see with greater, greater clarity. So, mm, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Sorry, just had a thought of something to do. When you read and you know the word, it actually becomes the discerner, it, because it becomes the standard for you. And so when it's the standard, things that hit against it that are below the standard will knock up against it because you know the word. And there's the gift of discerning of spirits, but there is actually a discernment that comes just from knowing the word of God. It becomes your standard. And so it's very important, um, I think, especially for young people, like, uh, you know, youth and young, like, get the word in you, especially in those years when there's so much stuff coming up against you, the word of God will hold you stable and true. It will anchor you. So... You start to see with discernment. But what also happens is you start to feel connected with the Holy Spirit. You start to feel connected with Jesus. You start to feel connected with the Father. And that's, what the, that's the power of the word. It's not always a corporate gathering where there's anointing and all that stuff that's happening. It's sometimes it's when you're sitting at home on your own at 5 o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock at night or... One o'clock midday if you've got the opportunity and the children are down for a nap. And you can sense his anointing in the word. Um, for me, the word is not the first place I connect with the Lord. For me, worship is. But I have learned regardless to dig my wells in the word. And sometimes it's like reading the same thing over and over and over and over again and going, Jesus, help me. Holy Spirit, what, are you, what do you mean when you say this? I don't get it. But it's like, keep coming back. Keep reading it. Keep looking at it. Keep facing up to it. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that again is saying that renew your mind. It will become a discerner, and it will be tested. You just have to go into your workplace, your school place, the shopping centre, turn on the radio, and that wall's being tested every time because the culture of the world is not the same as the culture of the kingdom, and we need the word of God firmly planted in us. The beautiful thing about it is when we actually allow the word to renew our mind, we become more Christ-like. And I don't know, if, um, so I am saying this with all honour, okay, please hear my heart, because I, 
very much been um, in my younger years in the Word and in the Spirit. I had a beautiful balance, but there was a season of my life that it got a bit unbalanced, and I was spending so much more time chasing the anointing, chasing the encounter, chasing the experience of God. And I can tell you now, if I didn't already have this firmly planted in me, I think I would have been in trouble. But the Lord and his kindness brought me back to the word. And so now I've got the beautiful blend of both. But if we go so far, far out of the spirit, because Satan is a beautiful liar. Do not think that you can chase even Holy Spirit without the word of God. Because the beautiful liar will just take you out just one little bit. And as my good friend Cudgeon says, all it does is take one degree. <laughs> but we have to stay in truth. We need the spirit and we need the word. Um, I remember years ago doing a study on the tabernacle of Moses and they talked about the, um, the names for every, every part of that tent, that tabernacle, had a name and it had an intention in the natural, but also had a representation of what it spoke to spiritually. And the ropes that held the, um, the beams, the upright beams for the outer courts, one, was called, one rope was called one thing and one was called something else. And what they translated to was actually spirit and word. And so you need the spirit and the word to be able to hold the line, to be able to keep even the watch on the wall, to keep as part of the wall the strength. It needs the spirit and the word. Sorry, I cannot say that enough. It's just like you need it, you need it, you need it. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to do a little exercise here. because I want you to be able to take this home with you. I'm going to read from a passage of Scripture and so the exercise is allowing the word to pierce your heart, okay? Like a surgeon's scalpel. Okay, so it's Romans 8, 15, 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears, bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Now, I'm just pulled out two points here that could pierce. I am a son. And the questions I have of that is, do I feel like I'm a son? Do I feel like I can cry out to him as a son? Do I feel his tenderness towards me as a good father? This is where the word pierces our heart. Because if my answer to any of those questions is no, beautiful. Because now we've got a lie in, we can see that there's a lie or there's something in there that's actually stopping me from getting the revelation, encountering him as the father and me and my position as a son. So what do I do with that? I ask Holy Spirit to stir up some 
dirt in there. I write down what am I believing, what do I feel, what do I feel is in the way of that. I book in for prayer ministry. I get some wise counsel from some trusted, mature friends that will maybe point some things out to me or ask some more stirring questions. And I go get, I go get prayer ministry. I deal with the root of that. Or I get counselling if I need. And then I come and I sit in the Word and I go, your Word says that I have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, I have received the spirit of adoption. And I am now a son and I am an heir. And I start building that in until it's no, now I feel like I'm a son. Now I feel like he's my father. And I use the word feel because there's a difference between knowing it in my head to knowing it in my heart. And our hearts tend to have more like a feeling language to them rather than a knowing language, if that makes sense. So that's why I use those languages, uh, those words, sorry. Okay. Now, this is one that I've read that scripture many times over the years. And I don't know, it was not that long ago, actually, probably maybe a year or 18 months ago that a part of that scripture stood out to me that I'd not really counted on before. And it says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. That pierced my heart. So the questions I asked myself is like, do I suffer with him? What is suffering? What does suffering look like? What does suffering look like in a first world country? when I have everything I need. I have a roof overhead, my food on top. I have a family that love me. I have people that cheer me on like, there's no way I wouldn't be standing here if I didn't have this community, I tell you now. Like, I, like what is suffering? Am I willing to suffer with him? I come to learn, sitting in my pain of my wounds, of my upbringing, of things, of the amount of people that have, in my family that have died, like close family members that have died, sitting in those spaces and not running on and ignoring they ever happened, that was sitting in suffering. And then sitting with other people in their pain and hearing their stories and not running away because that's what I used to do because I couldn't sit in mine. But sitting with people in their pain, hearing their stories, hearing their, not just tragedy, some of, your mind would boggle at half of people's stories, even in this room. I don't even know all of them. But people have painful stories and going into those places with them, the Lord calls it holy and sacred and precious to him. And that is sitting in suffering with him. And the question I also had to ask is, am I avoiding suffering? Am I turning my back on it when someone starts getting a bit raw and vulnerable and teary and emotional or sometimes angry and distraught because the pain is so great? How am I dealing with that? Am I just brushing it off like, yeah, that's good. Um, Maybe you should check in with Amy. No, I stand there and I go, tell me more about that. I'm so sorry that happened. That never should have happened. 
and I be the hands and I be the feet of Jesus and I bring a box of tissues with me and I cry with them. But I believe for where, for where we are present day in our situation, in our setting, in our contexts for us, that is sitting in his suffering. And there's people around the world that will see traumas and things like that that we would never, we wouldn't even dream of, let alone experience. And you know how we can actually help them in their suffering? We can pray for them. And we can ask the Holy Spirit, the gift of intercession, to pray for people that are in war-torn countries, that are desolate, that don't have a home, that are literally walking miles and miles with their little kids to find refuge in another country. There's suffering going on all around us. And we have the opportunity to pray if we can't sit with people in it. So when the word pierces our heart, the beautiful thing is then it's like we don't have to fix it on our own. We ask him help. Help me to get that truth from, that, from here into here. Show me which way to go. Show me what scriptures do I need to start building in. Show me, do I need prayer ministry? Do I, you know, just ask the Holy Spirit. He is faithful and he will lead you. He will lead you to the right people. He will lead you into the right conversations. Okay. So the word is a defensive weapon. So 1 Timothy 1 verses 18 and 19. So Paul's writing to Timothy, who's his um, disciple, and it's like a father-son relationship they have. It says, So Timothy, my son, I am entrusting you with this responsibility in keeping with the first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of fulfilment in this great work in ministry in keeping with the prophecies spoken over you. With this encouragement, use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clear conscience. Now, when we look at the word, you have the written word and then you have Jesus the word. Okay, so prophetic words, they're not a replacement for scripture, but you can fight with them like you would the written word. And so we're to pick up the word of God. So I'm just going to use an example. All of a sudden, a million and one bills have just come in. You don't know how you're going to pay them. You don't know where the money's going to come from. And it literally seems like it's all in the span of the same week. And you don't have the resources for it. And so you pick up your word and you say, my father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Malachi 3.10 says, bring, the tithe in the, or bring all the tithes into the storehouse and test me in this that I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. So Jesus, it's time to rebuke the devourer on my sake on my behalf. It's, you start getting those scriptures and you start going, no, this is what the Lord says. And you start speaking at it and it has to change. And the Lord will cha either change that or he'll bring in the finances or he'll do both. Okay? Everyone's looking at me. 
I want to read from um, I want to read from uh, Luke, and it's Jesus when he came out up from the waters of baptism, and I think it just draws a really powerful uh, conclusion that we need to make, and so. He's been fasting for 40 days and now he's being tempted by the devil because he was, you know, wandering around fasting, nothing to eat or drink, doesn't, it says, and he's being tempted by the devil. And the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Where do you think the devil got those words from? He got them from the word. Jesus, because he had been already in the temple all those years, already had the word on him, he discerned in this moment. And he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every, mouth, every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then he tempts him another time. And I'm just going to jump to the end there. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. When you use the word as a defensive weapon, the devil will leave you alone. He might try a couple of times, but he will leave you alone. And then he'll wait for another moment. And then you'll raise up the word again. And he might try a couple of times then, but each time it'll get less and less. Because you built the word into you and you're using it as a defensive weapon. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 6, it said, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but of, are of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete." So a lofty opinion is anything that places itself above the truth, of um, higher than God's truth, sorry. And so that might mean in, this, in the sense of healing, oh, he won't do it for me. That's actually a lofty opinion because the word of God says that um, he doesn't have favourites for a start, even though I think I am, but... He doesn't. Um, but he says he heals all our transgressions. He healed all our disease. He removed all our iniquity. So when I say he won't do it for me, I am actually saying, and I'm, and then, and I'm going, that's my truth. I'm actually saying that is the truth and it is above God's truth. That's actually a form of idolatry when we place something up above higher than God and his truth. And so when we get uh, things such as that, I mean, there's multiples in a course of a day, we are to grab hold of them and bring them into submission. And, we are, that's, and this is another reason why we need to know the word of God and we just say, no, 
He healed all my transgressions. He healed all my diseases. And I place it now, that, as the higher truth. And I step into it. I come down the front or I ask someone to pray for me. Okay? Being a son, the lofty opinion might be no one loves me or no one could love me. I'm rejected. I'm ashamed. I know everything. I was thinking of teenagers when I wrote that part. <laughs> Sorry. We just read a scripture that says that we are under the spirit of adoption. Purity and integrity. A lofty thought could be, well, we're getting married anyway. No one knows. I'm not hurting anyone. It's just a little lie. And we're saying that is a truth above what God says. Okay? So we need, to, we need to be aware of what's going on when a thought comes in our mind. Okay? Okay. What, it is also an offensive weapon. This means I go into something with my sword raised looking for where the gap is in my life. Where am I not seeing fruit? Okay? Where am I not? Ask yourself, where am I not seeing fruit? So I don't feel like a son. Hmm. I feel that's lacking a bit. I'm not going to wait until the enemy comes at me and goes, well, you're not a son. I'm going to go and I'm going, this is what the Lord says. And I'm going to go hunting that thing down. I'm on the offensive. I'm not waiting for it to come to me. Does that make sense? My finances, I don't know why. I am tithing. I'm giving generously. I'm doing according to what the Lord says. And I'm still not seeing breakthrough in my finances. I'm getting those scriptures and I'm starting to put them on my mouth. And I start going looking for the devil that's hindering anything and I'm going to slay him. <laughs> You've got to look. The thing with passivity is that you'll stop looking for where the gaps are in your life. You'll stop looking for where you're not bearing fruit because there's always something to be go after. We need to know this because we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. And we need to... It's not going to be all handed on to us in a silver platter, but we need to go and get it. Okay? All right, so we have children coming in, do we? Oh, we got just, if you need to go get your children, that's fine. I'm just going to um, finish this up. Sorry, we've, just, we've gone over time a fair bit and I just want to honour them. Cool. That's all right. So if you need to go, go get them. But what I'm going to do is I'll put um, some scriptures on our Facebook page and then you can get them for um, using the word as an offensive weapon, Okay which is good because it means you're going to have to go and look for it, okay? But I felt that there would be some people in the room perhaps that have laid the word of God down and they've laid their sword down. And it might be that, like me, ages ago, it was very active and I went for a season where it wasn't so active. And so I'm going to, we're going to do some repentance around that and we're going to pick up our swords again. So if that is you, that you've laid it down or you've just not even examined it, you've never picked it up 
and you would like to start picking it up, but you might not know how. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're just going to pray just through some repentance on not using, not utilizing what the Lord has given us. It's a gift. People have died to get the word to us over the generations. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we repent for where we have laid our sword down. We repent for where we've not allowed your word to pierce our heart. We repent for not using it as a defensive weapon and allowing the enemy to treat us like a doormat. And we repent for not seeking it out to all the treasures that you've paid for, what is the fullness of our inheritance. We repent, Holy Spirit. We just acknowledge the robbery of intimacy with you in it. We repent for coming into agreement with passivity around the word of God. And Jesus, we just ask that you would put in us a fresh hunger for your written word. Lord David meditated on your word day and night. Your word says that you would give us, you would take out a house, heart of stone, and give us a heart of flesh, that your laws would be written on our hearts. And so we just ask for a fresh desire for your word, for it to be written on our hearts to be the discerner of our hearts. We just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. I just also want to encourage you on the Paradox um, webpage, there's actually resources where you can access like different Bible reading plans and things like that. Um, so that if you're a bit like going, I don't know where to start, there's some great resources that we've put on there that you can go and examine. Some of them are apps, which make it super easy to load into your phone. Okay. Thank you. And thank you, Nicole. Thank you for sharing an area that you steward very well. Bless you.